0: This is Carl Polichuk, and you're listening to the SMB Community Podcast, produced by and for the Small Biz Thoughts community. We are dedicated to making every IT professional a successful IT professional.
1: So welcome everybody to the SMB Community Podcast. Today we're going to talk about the MSP industry and insurance. You know, as you can know, I run an MSP and have suffered the insurance rate increases just like all of you are suffering through that right now and you know it was an educational process for me to learn why that's been happening and so that's really what this podcast is about the risk environment has changed substantially and the insurance companies are responding to that and so today i've invited josh barker to to join us on the podcast uh, he's an insurance agent, insurance, I don't know what you call yourself, Josh. What is your title?
0: I, I would say consultant, agent, broker. You insert the title. I, I, I try to be a partner with, with most clients. So what, whatever you call up and need, that's probably what I am that day. He's,
1: he's that guy <laughs> and he's with, he's with Tech Rug. And so welcome, Josh. Um, mm-hmm. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and a little bit about the company that you work for so we can know who we're talking to.
0: Absolutely. Well, Thank you for having me on, Amy. I appreciate it. and uh, excited to be doing this. I am with TechRug. Uh, Everyone always asks, what does that mean? Uh, It's short for the Technology Risk Underwriting Group, but that's actually a mouthful, so it's just easier to say TechRug. But we're a firm that specializes in providing insurance for technology companies specifically. We don't deviate. We don't deal with bakeries, landscapers, home auto, architects, engineers. It's just we know tech. So we try to know one industry and know it really, really well. Um, so that's I think tech road's been around for 15 or so years. And I've been a part of the organization for coming up on seven years. So I've been here for about half the ride. And it's been crazy how much things have changed just in my short time here. If you just look at the last couple of years so um you know we well, try to think seven ourselves. years
1: ago is a very magic number that's yeah. 2013 in yeah. 2013 is when ransomware first came upon the scene okay i actually wrote a ransomware prevention kit back in 2013 and started giving it away to my fellow it firms out there is to try to prevent this from getting on networks and it's become much more complicated than what the process was back then and it's gotten so much worse but that was that was the beginnings of ransomware so and i know ransomware is a big component of why the insurance rates are going up so much for for msps so um, why don't you i'm interested from the insurance company's perspective what do you see as the risk expansion that has really caused this rate increase
0: I think there's a few things. if it was just one thing I don't think we'd be here so it's it's kind of a composition of a few things. The availability and the affordability of cyber crime is just dirt cheap. you know the the return on investment versus going and getting a a degree and a four year you know education versus hey, I'm just going to become a cyber hacker I'll learn in my basement, I'll learn how to do this. The tools are available on the dark web and now we're all so interconnected that you have teams and, and you know, just people I, I think you're probably going to have a tier system with within these organizations where these guys want the best of the best hackers and cyber criminals, you know, so, so those things are going on. Um, I, I think that it's a digital society, right? Everything is on our phone. Everything's electronic. There's the coin shortage out there. They don't want you using cash. So we do all our banking online and we have all these things going on. I would say, you know, think 2013, how many of us were doing all of our banking and a lot of our bill paying and different things completely electronically. It, It just wasn't available. It wasn't in need. And now that the need is there, people love that just flexibility, the autonomy of it all, it it creates loopholes. And that's what cyber criminals prey on is vulnerabilities. Hey, as soon as the pandemic started and everyone shut down, they're sending out all these bogus emails. They prey and they find these opportunities and prey on people who aren't educated. That's probably the biggest issue is education, understanding, knowledge. People really realizing there's, there's threats out there and I'm vulnerable and I need to do something about it.
1: So, so, Back in two thousand and thirteen, the ransom was three hundred bucks and it's it's you know which was outrageous at the time we thought like I mean sure. somebody's going to demand three hundred dollars from you for and those guys made millions of dollars in three hundred dollar increments, and you know that 's what awakened all of the bad guys out there to hey here 's an easy way to make money, but I think we 're way beyond the point where it's some Hacker in some basement. This is like organized crime now. These guys have support departments that will help you purchase bitcoins and, you know, even help you run the decryptors and, you know, all this stuff. They, they even call their victims clients. I mean, if
0: if you're paying me, you know, that's it's kind of a relationship, right? I'll give you a product, it happened to be your product before, but I'll give it back to you for a fee,
1: right? Right, yeah, now that you're my customer, because I'm holding all of the keys to your kingdom,
0: and and I've always been leery with that. You know, who's to say that if you do pay this, they don't create some sort of a back door, you know, like that? That's all, or you just become one of their preferred customers because (laughs) because they know you'll pay, they'll be back in a few months. Like, it's always been scary.
1: The, the backdoor thing is pretty scary. And it is happening now where they're not only encrypting the data, but they're also stealing it first before they then encrypt it on your system. So they're copying it off to their systems. They're using that as an additional, like, oh, we'll release these confidential Department of Defense items from the contract that you hold. So you'll never get a defense contract again if you don't pay your ransom. Um, but all of this, you know, leads back to the, to the MSP and what it is that, that we can do, and I know from talking to your risk lawyer the other the other day when we spoke that um, part of it is related to overpromising on the on the MSP. And I personally have always been very careful about that because we are working for a lot of different companies, which means that and our our commitment to them is a very small number of hours per month like we're not there all the time we don't know the nuance of everything we're not you know working with every user all day long We're, we're not a permanent part of that organization we're kind of off to the side it's very easy and i see a lot of msps doing it over promising what they're going to be able to really accomplish for that business in the small amount of time that they're dedicating to the job.
0: I think that's very true of most industries, right? We want to get our foot in the door. We want to differentiate from our peers. And so we're going to promise some things, but we don't necessarily understand the ramifications of what it is that we're saying and what sort of obligations we're opening ourselves up to. You know, Just vague wording in a contract can be interpreted right attorneys are fantastic at making an interpretation because we weren't definitive and black and white spelling out what was our responsibility what was your responsibility this isn't an offering through my organization this is outsourced to a third-party backup solution vendor uh, if you have an issue with it you're going to have to contact them you know make sure that we're aware of these things because those loopholes are there in the policy and like you said the carriers are increasing rates the carriers are aware of what the risks are and that's why they have carve backs like that in the policies is to protect their profitability is go to anybody go to any msp's website it's kind of like their resume you embellish a little bit right you you may say you're you're very proficient in one area and it's like well yeah we we do that but it's really a white labeled service and this is you know a dato or an azure or somebody like that that's providing it but to the client the relationships with you so when something goes wrong who are they calling? They're calling you. And if we can't dedicate the time to maintain and, and keep up on what's going on, they're going to go for months just thinking everything's fine. And there could be huge issues. And by the time it actually comes to light, now we've got a real problem and how do we unravel this? So that, that's why we try to be as proactive as we possibly can.
1: Well, that is the major selling point of an MSP, right? Is that you're, you're a business owner and you don't know a whole lot about technology, you're going to outsource that technology requirement for your business to run smoothly to somebody else who does know about it. Um, but technology is a gigantic industry. There is no single company that knows everything about Everything, right? No, <laughs> it's just a impossible. Of the big boys
0: that are trying to, but even they aren't. You know, you can look at a Microsoft; but they they still can't do everything, right? No,
1: so. they are right. Yeah, they still can't do everything, and so um, to me, it seems unreasonable that our clients would expect that that we do know everything. Um, I don't think we have to come off
0: like we do, right? It's it's okay to not be an accountant, a brain surgeon, you know, a, a general practitioner and everything in between. Like this is what we do. And we have other vendor partners that we lean on and rely on for their services and areas that we're not. And I don't know why people are so apprehensive, I guess, to to present that. Because that's also one of the things, that, you know, we talked with the, the risk manager the other day and, you know, just, just spelling out that this is an offering through a third party vendor rarely do i ever find that in in contracts existing contracts that our clients send us and it's something that just just spelling that out no one's going to be afraid that yeah you know i i use outlook for for emails that, that you're not outlook right but but it's okay we've got their support team we've got their security updates and stuff that they're doing on the back and that's okay and yeah. i think a lot of people are just kind of hesitant to, to, to expose that
1: yeah, there, there is, there has been that in the industry forever. You know, back when it was profitable to build computers, people wanted to white label computers and stick their name on it. And I was like, I, I don't with that. I mean, certainly the customer knows that I don't manufacture computers. Oh <laughs> yeah, I, okay. I, I don't. It doesn't need to have my name on it, right? Absolutely. So, what constitutes? A good policy for an MSP. Then we obviously have a broad range of things that we need to protect ourselves from. Absolutely. The clients, clients have certain expectate. Maybe, 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 maybe our industry isn't isn't uh, setting the expectations where they should be. Um, but the client, regardless of what we tell them they 're going to have expect expectations anyway. so are there things in insurance policies i right? 've had e o insurance and liability insurance forever since you know I started my business back in two thousand and it was just like a professional consultant kind of you know generic insurance at that time, and it 's gotten more specific over time as the insurance companies became aware of the tech industry and started changing their packages. Is there something that's new and different in the insurance industry now that that MSPs need to make sure that that we have in our insurance policy set that we didn't have 10 years ago, that we should review that and do something new?
0: I think that one of the components that has kind of become a default coverage on these Policies uh, is crime insurance, cyber crime, electronic crime, it goes by different names. And just this business, this policy, this type of line of business, it's unregulated. So there is no stock, these coverages. You know, if you or I get an accident on the way home, we know that we're going to take the car to the body shop, they're going to give us an estimate, the carrier is going to pay us the value of the repairs, less our deductible. Cyber and doesn't work that way. So you want to make sure that you have something that is first party and third party coverage. So first party, meaning if something happens to you, the MSP, and then third party is probably the stuff that we traditionally think of as if my client sues me because I lost their data or they get hit with ransomware because I didn't turn the firewall back on before I left or you know something like that. Those are always going to be necessary. But I would say the first party coverage is vital because MSPs are being targeted. You guys are high value targets because if I can compromise your tool set, the return on investment from the cyber criminal could be 100 to one, right? Versus if I just ping the business owner, it's one to one. Maybe I win, maybe I don't. But that, that's the best I can do is one off.
1: So that's considered first party, right? Now, my, first my, part. my remote access tool is compromise. <clears throat> that's a hack on me. So that would be first party insurance coverage?
0: Well, I would say the, the third party side is if you're breach, but it impacts your clients. But the, yeah. the first party side of it is, again, if, if you're hit with ransomware, if your systems go down, if you fall for a phishing scam, if somebody compromises your VoIP system and they set up an auto dialer just making international calls until you get back in the office tomorrow. Those are the kind of things that I think we need to protect. I don't necessarily know if we need as much protection on the first party because hopefully our MSPs are more knowledgeable and more alert to the threats but nobody's perfect and i always say with these cyber criminals you look at the corny emails and the terror terrible grammar and capitalization and stuff or it just looks funky they wouldn't send those out if somebody wasn't taking the bait you know and a lot of very educated people c-suite people with letters after their names all kinds of designations these folks fall for the scams. It, it happens every day. There's as much money made in cyber crime as there is insurance, as there is any
1: other business. It's a legitimate industry from a revenue standpoint. let's, say, let's call it an illegitimate industry with high revenue. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely,
0: the bottom line is the revenues are still there. That, yeah. That's that's the concern. But I would, you know, that you want to make sure that. Depending on the services you're offering, you you want things in a policy that are going to protect you if the services you say you're providing fail. So usually most folks are providing network security, they're providing some sort of hosting and backup solution, they're providing patch management solutions. You know, the, there's a whole suite that goes into those different levels. So they vary by degree and by client, I'm sure, but you know, if those are the exposures, if you mess around and have access to and personal, personally identifiable information, we need regulatory coverage. You know, we need to be able to notify people that they may have been impacted. We need to have a forensics analysis done post breach to figure out the severity. Was it just the data was encrypted or was it exposed somewhere? Then we've got credit monitoring. You could get, depending on where these people came from, is there HIPAA to come after you, GLPA, any of those regulatory bodies. Those are the components. I'd say make sure we have some regulatory coverage in those types of policies. Because most people think, oh, I don't have any of that information. Like, well, do you have client emails? Do you have mailing addresses, billing addresses? Anything in my, it varies from state to state, but in my opinion, anything you're not gonna find on the county auditor's website is probably gonna be classified as PII. And at that point, if it's exposed, you have an obligation to respond appropriately not responding appropriately is how we go ahead and accumulate those big regulatory fines and penalties. Try to sweep it under the rug. It's not going to go so well. And we have an obligation and a duty to respond and and correct these things. And I've been to countless trade shows and I always say you could use every vendor's latest and greatest and have clients that just give you a blank check and I'll take whatever you recommend and things can still go south things still go awry. You know, when they go from version 1.5 to 2.0, there's some vulnerabilities there. So what happens? How do we respond? How do we address that? And that's where, you know, these policies aren't cheap. You've seen the rate increases and things like that. If you're going to spend the money for it, it better work when
1: you need it. So how do we know it's going to work when we need it, right? Sounds like the third-party coverage from, from an MSP's perspective is probably the more important piece of this, isn't it?
0: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I think that that's what keeps you up at night. That's what people are paying you for and coming to you for. You're less worried about, oh man, I, I clicked a link in an email and I shouldn't have, and now my computer's locked That That's not as likely on site. It's not impossible, but it's unlikely. The real threat is your cl- your customers, your clients. They don't know any better. They're not educated. And I, I think pushing security awareness training and, and getting them up on the knowledge base is important, but if you're going to have a claim, there's a really good chance that it's going to happen on the third-party side of things.
1: Well, I mean, how do I afford that, right? My clients are orders of magnitude bigger than I am. Mm-hmm. I don't have the deep pockets to be able to insure their business.
0: And that's, that's where – so we've – Trying, we're in the process. So I guess we've been transitioning into being considered or considering ourselves a protection company, not an insurance agency or a firm. And what we have is kind of a three-pronged approach. So the protection, the P for for the acronym, pick the protection is kind of the services and securities that you guys are providing to the customers. It's hey, do backups, do multi-factor, do you know all the the things that you recommend. When that goes south, like I just mentioned, then insurance comes in. So we want to make sure we have that. Well, how do we then bridge that where, hey, I screw up insurance pays, and then this is the world we've gotten into. We haven't bridged that claims have been through the roof, and carriers are just saying we've got to recoup our losses. But the third side is where it comes in. It's contracts. It's documentation. It's spelling out obligations. It's it's limiting your liability with people. You know, don't give every client a blank check, say, Hey, we're going to pay you X amount of dollars. I don't know, pick a number, whatever seems appropriate, 5,000, 10,000, you know, or whatever you've paid us over the last two, three, six months, year, something like that. Now, if you've capped that, you know, no matter how many clients are impacted, let's say we use that magic number, 10,000, you could have a hundred clients impacted at $10,000 we don't need as much coverage as if you had a hundred and they all want a million dollars. You know, so that's, that's kind of the, the thing that goes into this is limiting your exposure, letting the clients know you're not responsible for everything. I think statistics say all the breaches and incidents that we see 50% are on the MSP and about 50% are on the end user. But if we don't have something spelled out beforehand, it was a tech problem. Well, I wired $50,000 here, but, I used a computer you sold me and I was over this platform and you're my tech person. So you think, no, no, no. I didn't send anybody. But when they don't have, you know, we haven't spelled out what's going on and who's responsible for what, that's exactly what they're going to do. And that's, I think another kind of segues into they need their own coverage. You can't foot the bill for everything that's going on out there. They need policies for that 50% of the, the incidents that are on them. And I think if they do have their own policies, now they're a lot less likely to turn that into their carrier versus grasping at straws and bringing in you and the manufacturer of the computer and the internet service provider and their landlord and anybody they can to try to get that money back. It's like, you've got to have some skin in this game too. You know, we're here to help you and we do a good job at what we do, but this isn't, I guess it's, it's a, it's a, it's a whole. You know, we, we've all got to work as a whole and, and kind of get some unison in, in what we're doing, so that everybody is going to be protected, be aware of what's going on, and have something that will respond as needed.
1: So I'm allowed to limit my liability by just saying up front in the contract, if some kind of breach occurs, the maximum damage is ten thousand dollars or three mm-hmm. months of services, past services, or something i Absolutely. just put that into my contract
0: yeah i mean go, go look it's, at any of your vendor agreements see what you know somebody like a, a microsoft or an azure or whoever name your vendor they're not responsible for anything and if they are it's a very very small dollar as opposed to what the actual exposure is on you right. if they cause the incident so
1: no i know yeah one of my favorite uh one of my favorite contractual language things is yeah, are in backup services. You subscribe to a backup service, and it says that they're not responsible for backing up your data. I'm like, well, it's kind of what we hired you to do. Yeah. <laughs> but, but it too says too it too says too right good. in there, yeah. We we provide backup services, but we're not responsible for backing up your data. Absolutely.
0: So it, it, it's. It's insane. I mean, the, the, you can put anything in a contract. Let's be honest. You can put whatever you want in there now. Whether it's enforceable or it'll hold up in court, who knows? But I've had numerous claim situations where no, no, the client signed off here and rejected that service, and I've got it here in writing. They can still sue you. There's, there's nothing out there that says they can't. And if you get the right attorney who's willing to take it on, now we've got to put our hands up because they're taking a swing at us. You know, we have an obligation to stand up to them and get defense costs make sure your policies have coverage to provide defense costs for any legal ramifications or legal proceedings that you may get into um, right.
1: yeah I think that's a something that isn't that isn't really thought of that it's we have these great relationships with our clients right they go on and on for years and you know these people and um, it money changes everything but it may not be them that sues you it, probably their insurance company. The
0: the subrogation clause, that's another one in there. So subrogation, I'll break it down. Uh, Basically is if the insurance carrier, let's say I get rear-ended by somebody on the way home. I keep saying I'm going to do that. So knock on wood, it doesn't happen tonight. But Hmm. if I'm to get into an accident and it's someone else's fault, well, I don't want to wait for their carrier to get things resolved. They're always going to look at their client first and then get to you. So I go and turn it into my insurance. My company pays for all the damages. I get a rental car, pick it up when it's ready. Now what they'll do is then turn around and take the money they paid out and then request it of the other driver's insurance. So that's subrogation, just kind of one-on-one. So yes, waivers and mutual waivers of subrogation in contracts can be very beneficial. You know, saying that we won't go after you, you won't come after us, kind of thing. You know, we're going to do our best to make sure that everyone is doing the right stuff. But in the event that you guys have a problem that wasn't our fault, you can't have your carrier come after me, and vice versa. Again, it goes back: if you have your own policy, then then it should be taking care of you for the things that. I wasn't responsible for and, and vice versa. So the, the, those waivers are, are very common when we get certificate requests from, from vendors, from, from clients, from you know, RFPs when they're, they're doing their proposals and things like that. A lot of people want you to waive subrogation. You know, so why wouldn't we expect or ask the same things of our customers? We're signing on for these types of things. They're just doing it on other aspects of their business operations but sometimes I think they feel that they can kind of turn and and flip the script on the MSP. Like, Oh, I don't need a contract. Why do I need a contract? We're friends. We went to college together. And it's like, if contracts didn't matter, go buy a house, go buy a car. You know, (laughs) there's, there's a reason these industries have implemented that stuff. Don't let clients dictate that stuff to you.
1: So for subrogation, am I, are you saying I should put into my contract this mutual subrogation, but As an insurance company, then what the insurance companies, I'm just basically saying you can't use your insurance company against me. To come back after me, right? Yeah, but how do the insurance companies feel about that? I mean, aren't you guys counting on that in some ways? (laughs) It's it's something you did and you're
0: responsible for. That's what the policy is there to pay for. It's when you weren't responsible and they're grabbing at straws and trying to say, well, we just ate a $50,000 loss. And I want someone to reimburse me. They basically want you to be the insurance for the insurance company. And that's kind of what you want to, to avoid. I don't think that it's anything unreasonable to, to ask of, of folks. It, it's pretty common. Um, you know, We're just saying we're waiving our rights to that. But most policies have clauses in there. For example, everyone wants a certificate to be a, a, named as an additional insured. We can do that automatically when required by a written contract. Same thing with the waiver of subrogation. When that is accompanied by a written contract saying this is a requirement in our relationship and our agreement, it'll automatically do that because you have obligated yourself to that and therefore set up the terms for your care. Now don't it can vary from policy to policy. So please, anyone listening, make sure that you, you check what your specific policy says, but. Yeah, as long that's that's why we always want to accompany it with written contract because then it gives it gets away from those little loopholes the carriers have to say well no no you don't have a contract so we don't formally do this we're not reimbursing or paying you're on the hook for that payment.
1: Right. So one last question for you. Uh, every time in my life when I've gone to get an insurance, regardless of whether it's my automobile, my house, my business. The, at some point, the insurance person says to me, "Well, how much coverage would you like?" And, uh, yeah, I have no idea. <laughs> so, is there some f- formula that we should be applying to say, you know, I, right? My revenues are a million dollars a year. I should have so much insurance coverage.
0: I I wish I get this question on. Well, how much should I be carrying? I'm like, okay, well. There's a lot of factors that we can consider, but I don't think it's an internal look. I used to look at it more that way of oh you do you know a mill two mil in revenues so maybe you know round up let's look at three. As this has kind of progressed, it's not about your revenues; it's about the revenues you have under management. So look at your clients, do a Dun and Bradstreet lookup, and find out how much they do annually, and then you know divide that by let's call it 52, 52 weeks in a year. And most breaches have a downtime of around a week. So take that number. And that alone is just your business uh, interruption costs for the time they were down. That's not the ransom. That's not any kind of notification, credit monitoring, forensics, all that fun stuff. It's also not, you know, going to tie in with any potential problems that came from that interruption was, was somebody hurt that they lose business because of it, you know, so there's all these other aspects that come in that it's very difficult, but I think everyone is in a different position. And then we're also needing to look at, Hey, I'm not in business to just pay insurance premiums, right? So there's a balance somewhere between what I can afford and what I should have is you know, ultimately I always tell folks, you're paying me for something that you hope to never use right think of another product or service you've bought like i hope i never use that now okay. you bought a pair of shoes i'm gonna go for a run let's check them out insurance is different in that aspect <laughs> so right. you just gotta watch
1: so i should do that for all of my clients and then add it up or my largest client or i mean i would say
0: all of them because if you have a tool set compromise and everybody's impacted mm-hmm. um, you know then that's potentially what you're looking at or, or say Look at your total revenue. So we always look at what are your annual revenues? And then of that, what is managed service, break, fix, hardware sales? Take the percentage of things that people rely on you on. So the hardware sales probably isn't going to be something that's going to feel an impact from that stuff. Um, Consulting services probably aren't going to feel an impact for that. But anyone that you're doing, you know, hosting, backups, regular, just managed service clients, factor that percentage, you know, those clients and then look at them. And then if we, we take it back, look at endpoints. You know, I think the average cost just to notify people and what goes into post-breach response is like 235 ahead. So how many endpoints do you have under management? If we add those in, I mean, I, I could make the picture scary enough that, hey, you need 100 million of insurance. <laughs> and it's like, nobody's going to be able to afford that and carriers anymore. Right. It's hard pressed to get three mil out of them without a contract requiring it. So that's where, again, that contracts and limitation of liability with the clients Maybe we can get away with two or three melon coverage because we've capped our liability and, and address those things. But yeah, if you really got into breaking it down to every little detail of it, the, yeah. the cost or the what you should carry would be astronomical. and No one would offer it or could afford it.
1: But. So yeah, we're, we're come back around then to the limitation of liability and that's thing that, that we're probably most of us missing in our contracts that we need to, to fix.
0: It's, it's a key component. I mean, there's, if you go to five different attorneys, you're going to get five different sets of recommendations or a template, you know. But I think there's a handful of things, at least from what we're looking for from an underwriting standpoint you know, we're looking for something that acknowledges limitation of liability. It spells out the terms of the services to be offered and everyone's responsibilities. We want some sort of, you know, indemnity or hold harmless clause. Uh, Force majeure clause is another one. We don't cover acts of God. Nobody does. So if the power lines go down and when they come back on, if their firewall doesn't kick on, the unauthorized access the next day isn't covered by anyone's policy. Have we acknowledged those things? Because if we don't, The MSPs in this are the doctors and the customers are basically the patients. They're coming to you expecting your expertise on these things. So if it's not in writing, nine times out of 10, the judges and the court systems are gonna side with the patient, with the consumer. And that's where we've just gotta tighten those things up. And same thing, clients wanna push back and they don't want to sign off on your recommendations. I don't wanna pay that. Every time you call me, you're just looking for extra money. That's fine. I, I, I'm not here to to draw, you know, bleed you dry. But can you sign off here that we had this conversation? Because in six months, when their systems crash and you can't get them back up and running, they'll conveniently forget that conversation you had. When you kind of wave that letter in front of them, and say, "Remember this conversation?" Yeah, you're right. I'm kicking myself in the butt now, versus trying to kick you in the butt because they're they're mad.
1: Right. Well, Josh, thanks for coming to the podcast today and talking about this really important topic sounds like a lot of MSPs myself included have some work to do on our on our contracts to make sure that we we are limiting our liability it's gotten a lot scarier out there I think than it was 20 years ago when I started in this business and even seven years ago when you, you started with the insurance industry here so
0: yeah, no, it, it, I appreciate you having me, and I, I think that one of the things that, that we want to always keep in the forefront, this isn't a destination, right? It's, it's a journey. It's a constantly evolving thing. What worked before doesn't now. There is no endpoint. We can always be doing better, be doing different, so as the, the threats in the industry and the environment change, we need to adapt and continue to change, not just say, oh, I fixed that five years ago. I don't have to worry about it.
1: Well, technology marches on, and so do threats.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Well, thank you. I I appreciate you having me on. This was, this was fun.
1: Cool. I think that's a good stopping point. Cool. Cool. See how fast it like zooms by. So.
0: (laughs) You know, always there's so many things that's like, I don't think we got on, you know, what the carriers are doing or that, but it's like, you could just go deeper and deeper when we go into these things. So if, you know, anyone has follow ups or something else I can do to help, let me know.
1: Yeah. Well, I think that the, uh, you know, I think there was a good main point in that about, about the limitation of liability and that kind of gives people something to, to grab onto and talk about with their insurance people.
0: Yeah, that, that's going to be the only way that we're going to, I, I don't think we can ever stop the threats, right? We're, we're going to, if it's not ransomware, it's going to be, you know, something else. There's always going to be that threat, but yep. we're capping the liability, the carriers are paying out less. So we may not be able to help with the frequency stuff, but if we can limit the amounts they're paying out, Mm -hmm. they've got investors boys of london is sitting there and they've got an answer to shareholders stockholders all you know the board of directors it's a it's a profitability thing so if we're paying out million dollar claims and instead of paying out ten thousand dollar claims we know where this market's going to go if we can get back in the other world and knock on wood we've been able to beat the industry average with claims and size of claims per it's I don't know any other way to to cap it unless we can just start putting people in bubbles.
1: <laughs>
0: so, yeah. All right,
1: cool. Well, thanks for, thanks again for doing the podcast and uh, I know people are going to get some value out of it. So.
0: Absolutely. I appreciate you having me on. And yeah. so if there's anything I can do to help in the future, just let me know.
1: All right, we'll do. Thanks a lot.
0: Thanks, Amy. Bye. Absolutely.